Welcome to the Constructed Futures Podcast with Hugh Seaton. Today I'm joined by Dan Bully, Senior Vice President of the MCA Chicago, and Mike Zivanovic, UA member and, and a sales development specialist of GTP Strategies. Guys, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Hugh. Hey, Hugh, how you doing? Good. So, guys, I wanted to start about um, how both of you kind of got into technology and, and tell, tell, you know, hear that story, maybe starting with you, Dan. Okay. So I'm a mechanical engineer and I find my way, I stumble into the association business. I'm working at MCF Chicago and I'm the kind of guy that gets bored really easily. So when I get bored, I look for interesting things to do. So I think it was a little more than 15 years ago. I'm like, well, why isn't there more technology in this industry? Because it's, it, it seems like something that fits. And so I started looking around and, and I didn't see anything. So I just started making my own and putting my stuff together and finding people on LinkedIn and, and places like that. I don't even know if LinkedIn was there yet or just on the internet. And I would find interesting people and I'd follow them um, and I would learn. And then I started putting together stuff and then I put together a, a tech day. But I, I got this one f- funny story, if I can tell it. So I was uh, invited as a guest to a uh, technology committee meeting of, of a large association. And in the meeting, I just learned about BIM. And um, like I said, this is about 15 years ago. And they said, I said, well, what about BIM? And they just kind of like, well, yeah, okay, there's something called BIM. And that was it. And so I go home and we had, it was an interesting meeting, but it was a lot of old stuff. And the next day, my boss gets a call from the person in charge of the meeting. They said, well, Dan Bully was very disruptive at this meeting. And of course, I'm horrified that, you know, got this important person calling my boss. But it wasn't till 10 years later that I realized like, hey, I was disrupted at a technology committee meeting. <laughs> so I love that. So I, like we were just disruptive before it was cool. Exactly. So that's one of the few times I've been something like that, but I'll take it. Yeah. And and that's kind of continued to 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 be a passion of yours for the you know ever since yeah yeah I'm like uh, what are those what are those animals they grab onto the ankle they don't let go so I I get into something interesting and I I'm passionate about it and I stay on so yes so I never really stopped looking at where should we be going I'm one of the people that are looking at I'm not the expert that's say how can we make this better right now I'm looking like what what's coming next and how do we get there and how do we make sure we position ourselves so work for the MCA. I'm like, I'm always like, how do I position our mechanical contractors or our pipe fitter partners uh, to be ready for the future? That's, that's where I'm in it. And I'll partner with anybody and talk with anybody and and collaborate with anybody to do that. And well, speaking of partner, um, Mike, how did you, what got you started with technology? So that's a, you know, just as a young kid, I've always been a fan of technology. I think I was, uh, grew up in the best time of that cusp of went from a black and white to a color TV and then early gaming systems. So I was always interested in it. And, you know, out of high school, I, I went to school for some programming and networking and, and I kind of put it away for a while. And um, I had an opportunity later in life, Hugh, to, to join the pipe fitters in Chicago, which was totally, uh, you know, opposite of technology, if you will, when I was looking into it. And I decided to give it a try and, and, and I got in and um, I quickly noticed how, how things could have maybe been done a little bit better and more efficiently. Not that, you know, I was coming in new, so it wasn't my position to just try to change things right away, but inherently using a little bit of the technology knowledge I had, I, I saw easier ways we can do things right away. And, and I, you know, I just voiced my opinion and, and I'm a firm believer that, uh, 
that, you know, being in the right place at the right time and, and things happen for a reason. And, and it kind of led down this path of technology and um, you just, you got to believe in something and you want to, you, you want to, you know, move an industry and, and then things happen. So it's, it's not like I, you know, Hugh, not, I didn't do anything specific and I don't think I could write a, a path on how to get to where I, I did just believe in something, um, set a goal for yourself and just work every day at it. And, and things happen. And keep banging away at it. Yeah. And you guys did a, a ton of, a ton of really great work in terms of training people on, on Revit and some other things. You want to talk a little bit about what sorts of trainings that you've, you've introduced or been, been a part of uh, in the Chicago area? Yeah. So uh, again, looking at what's done on the job site with uh, mobile technology and, and, you know, 3D design with BIM, we saw in Chicago, we had to do the same thing. So uh, we took a, a program there, me and, and four or five of, of uh, my brothers and sisters put together a technology team. And I was tasked with creating that team. And, and, and I remember hearing a quote long ago that, you know, you don't hire smart people to tell them what to do. You hire them so they can tell you what to do. And and I found five people that were smarter than I am, which uh, which is wasn't too difficult. And you know what? We just started from the bottom. And in a quick story, we had to learn about Revit five years ago. So um, I found the the BIM manager for the New York Port Authority, and I called him and and said, "I'd like to learn about Revit. I'm a Chicago pipe fitter, and I want to teach it." And he says, "Well, I can come there in two weeks, and I can teach you for a week." And wow. six of us sat there with him, and we knew nothing about Revit. And he told us how New York is a Revit model. And he showed it to us. And he, for a week, he just launched a fire hose of information at us. And it started. And it started, uh, not that, you know, I'll, I'll be honest with you, you, we had some failure in the beginning. And and, uh, and when we had these classes, we created this curriculum and we wanted people to show up. And we started the first class, Hugh, and nobody showed up. Yeah. And and I kind of looked at, and I looked at my guys and, uh, you know, I, I Sorry, my dog's in the background. I got a puppy at That's home. Right. And uh, it just shows you how authentic these things are. And, <laughs> you know, we had the second class, Hugh, and nobody showed up, brother. And then fast forward five years, now we have a 180-hour Revit program in Chicago, and there's a waiting list of 20 students in each class with, with 20 to 30 on a wait list to get in the class. So, um, again, it just shows you keep progressing, keep your head down, keep going in a forward direction, and good things will happen. Well, what do you guys think changed? Right, too. Oh, sorry. No, that's all right, Dan. Mike, go ahead, Dan. That first, so Mike and I, this is almost like, I don't know how to put it. When Mike and I met, it really upped both of our games, I think. It certainly, he, he certainly upped my game. But there was a really funny story as Mike's making this meteoric rise. I mean, he was just a pipe fitter. Um, and all of a sudden, someone realized that he had a, a bent for technology. And he just had this really quick rise. And it was almost overnight. And we had a, a meeting. In fact, we had a meeting. And Daniel DeBuncio was speaking. It was a it was a contractor meeting, and Mike we invited Mike to come with. Now he was a pipe fitter. He's worked for one of our one of our members, and he had got he I, he got terminated at that company, right? But the owner was friendly with him. It wasn't like that, you know. Things come and go all the time, and um, I should let Mike t- tell the story. But um, the, the he he can tell him when he comes here later. So. I'm going around I'm, and people about heard about Mike, but they don't know him. So I'm going around introducing him to all of our members, including Brian Helm, who's now he's president of MCAA. And um, so this, the guy who was the president of the company that Mike had worked for knew Mike, didn't know he's this guy. And he comes up to me. He's like, he's like, uh, uh, what's, what's going on here? 
what, what, how did Mike Zianovich come be the, come from a fitter to the tech genius? And it was just it was just one of those funny stories. So Mike's got a funny story too. I don't know if he's too shy to tell it, but <laughs> it was it was just one of those. It's just a lot of hilarity, you know. There's a lot of hilarity in this industry. You just yeah. got to it. And when you make it fun, things happen, right? Oh, absolutely. That's the thing is, Mike and I always had fun doing this because we were both so passionate about it. Um, and we like the first time we met. So it was the um, what happened was the the previous uh, training director at, at, at Pipefitters Five Nine Seven, John Lean. John Lean, he knew me and he knew what the kind of stuff that I did. Um, and we had never really, we hadn't been doing too much stuff. We didn't do anything at the training school at the time. Um, and, but he knew, and Mike Z had just started work there and Mike was an apprentice and he was working there and he said, oh, um, can you do some of this computer stuff? And they realized he let go and he goes, hey, you got to meet, the, you got to meet each other. So we met and five minutes later, we're already planning like this, what we call the, like I forget what we call it, technology showcase, which is this huge show um, back when nobody was doing this stuff yet, and uh, we yeah. just had a lot of fun together all the time. Yeah, I was I was lucky enough to go to your um, uh, to go to your tech day last year. It was really was really cool. I mean, that one of like the things, nine. and, and that wasn't counting because we had a couple of like soft ones before that. Yeah, um, what what you know? It's a cool kind of theme coming out of this is that you know. Yeah, you can learn from courses and you can learn from from you know books and so on and so forth. But there's there's gonna be somebody around, a guy, a woman, somebody who who you know you can you can ask and, and they're they're gonna teach you. And it's you know you guys got a lot of value out of out of working working together on this stuff. Um, and I think that there's there's a lot to that, right? In terms of as the industry continues to move forward and as people are learning more and more about technology. I think it's really important that people know that there's there's somebody around you who you can ask who's going to help you with this, and they're going to be really happy to do it. Yeah, yeah, because they're passionate too, and so they see someone else that's passionate, and they're going to work with you. Well, and trailblazers always love to know that there's actually someone else out there who loves what they're doing. Yeah. Well, Hugh, you know, and if I could just you know piggyback off of that, that's what we're talking about now is, is basically the fun, the foundation of the UA, uh, the United association is, is mentoring uh, the future, you know, and, and that's what a, uh, an apprenticeship is all about, right? So it's, uh, you know, taking years of knowledge that, that cannot be read out of a book and it has to be through experience and um, passing that information on to the, to the next generation. And, and that's as a, as a UA member, I've traveled the country training UA locals all over the country. And, and, and that's what makes me proud to be a UA member, seeing that, that knowledge just inherently passed on and the, the joy that comes from a, from a tenured journey, journeyman, a journeyman that, that instills that knowledge into a young apprentice. It's just, it's an, it's an amazing sight to see you. And, and what you guys are talking about though, is, is increasingly, you know, adding, adding new skills and adding new capabilities, right? Like, again, the Revit thing was, I was just struck when I went and saw you guys in Chicago, um, you know, the facility and the, the, just the quality of, of instruction is, is really pretty amazing. Well, and that's what we, that, that's the foundation of, again, and, and I'm going to tie this back to, I, I know you were in Chicago and you saw us in, in very, very blessed in Chicago, but that's, a, that's UA, that's country, that's nationwide, you know, the UA is made up of 350,000 members who take number one safety uh, more serious than any other topic. So, 
anytime I talk, I like to say that safety is absolutely critical and, and nothing else uh, goes beyond that. So now that that's that being said, we'll, we'll you know, put safety to the side in the conversation. The, the UA is all about ensuring the future of, of our members. That's, that's the ultimate goal. And in doing so in the last five years, technology has become a major part of that conversation, right? So, and, and what I like to see as a, as a, a UA member, and now I work for, for GTP services, and now I, I work with union uh, contractors around the country, is that it's the meaningful conversations about technology, Hugh. It's not, uh, and you and I have had this conversation plenty of times of, yeah. it's not about the, the cool technology and what's out there and what's neat and the flashing lights. What technology out there will make you more productive and more efficient today? Yep. And that's what we need to, to really focus on, right? I believe in technology minimalism. I, I, and I believe in, in using uh, and, and making sure that what you're gonna, going to invest in will further your company. Mike, what do you mean by technology minimalism? Well, I, you know, I, the, the easiest example I can think of is, is a software like Microsoft Excel, for example. I would think, myself included, 99% of the population out there probably know how to use 5% of what Excel can do. Yeah. So what we do is we learn how to use Excel to merge two rows or columns or add a couple things up. And then when we need to make a simple, if I'm a contractor that's just dipping our toe in the water of technology and I need to make a project schedule, I don't learn how to maximize my investment with Excel. I go and find project scheduling software. So what we're doing is we're just creating this huge tech stack where what I do, what I believe in is if you have Excel, take a class on it, invest eight hours into an Excel class that you can get for free anywhere, and you'll be surprised at what you can learn. So by minimizing the amount of technology that you have, I believe that you will increase productivity and efficiency in your workflow. Does That's that make an, sense? Or, yeah, or, it really does. And you know, this it's funny. I, I knew a company in the in, uh, in Silicon Valley who's entire business was to go into big companies and audit how many how many SaaS subscriptions they had so like how many different people were had a, had a separate account for Dropbox or for you know you name it because it's such a big deal that people will go grab this stuff and barely use it so well, the idea you know what the attra- go ahead you sorry i was going to say the idea of you know doing an audit i, I talked to uh, travis voss about this a year ago and he had brought in a a, a consultant to do an audit of their exactly what you're saying, an audit of, of the software and technology they had and really understand A, do they need it all? And B, how could they use what they already have better? I think that's a really important point you make. And you know, and I'm I'm definitely not here to um to to pitch our, our product or talk about uh you know <laughs> well, what while we you're offer. Here, but, what the heck? But while I'm here, you know, let's but but you know, Travis Voss and the Helm Group, they are they're Stratus customers. Our product Stratus embraces that technology minimalism, and we keep everything under one platform. Um, and again, I'm not I'm not here to to, to push that, but I, I believe in that, you know. And um, that's you know when we see apps on our phones, that's why they have apps now that tell you how many subscriptions you have right, and to stop right. wasting money on everything that's four ninety nine a month. You know, how funny is it though that you have an app that tells you how many apps you have? <laughs> <laughs> Things hey, that's, a little that's about as ironic as it gets. Yeah. Um, so, so Dan, I, how have you seen 
kind of the role of technology in, in the MCA change over the last little while? Well, at first it was just us trying to, you know, we're crying out in the wilderness, like, Hey, you guys need to step in. And what really what we, what I would say was like, get your toe in the water because either you're going to jump in or you're going to get your toe in the water, but at least put your toe in the water. Cause as soon as you do that, you start seeing, Oh my gosh, look at all these possibilities. Yeah. Um, and, and time after time after time, you know, we just kept preaching that and pushing that and pushing that and showing them the possibilities. And everybody kept, uh, you know, oh, wow. They, they'd say, oh, my gosh, I, you know, you were right. You were right. So we just kept doing that. Now, I, like I said, I, we can't, I can't deliver at the level that, you know, someone like Travis can, you know, got people like Travis and, and his counterparts across the country. I mean, they're doing, they're doing the heavy lifting now. And they're the, they're the new uh, people out there telling, you know, helping and telling people what to do. And I'm just looking at it from the side and saying, Hey, have you thought of this? Have you thought of that? But yeah, well, that's leadership though, right? That's, that's you creating the conditions for the industry to keep moving forward. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, one of the, the things that I know from having spent a little bit of time trying to push some digital transformation here and there is people like to, to learn new things from people that are like them. You know what I mean? Like, and, and it's never more true in, than in something like a union or in a trade. So, I mean, if you guys found that is that, that, you know, the, the best way to, to get someone to believe something is to have it come from one of their brothers or, or come from, you know, someone who really has walked a mile in their shoes. Sure. I, I, I like what you say about the, and, and let's talk about that for a second. So the whole part about, you know, walk a mile in their shoes and, and I don't know the answer to this, and, and and I'm just, you know, Hugh, you and I and Dan love to have great conversations, so let's do that for a second. So, is it and is it like a subconscious thing for us to feel that way? That hey, you know, I'm a I'm a a pipe fitter, or I'm a union member, I'm a tradesperson, or whatever my craft is. You know, why should I listen to somebody that is not walked a mile in my shoes? How can they tell me what would they and and what I'm getting at is, and I, I don't believe in the walk a mile in my shoes theory because I believe in, in thinking from outside the box is what I'm getting at. Um, but what are your thoughts on that, Hugh? And, and yeah, and Dan, the, you know? so I, again, I spent a little bit of time with this, with this problem in construction and outside of construction. And what, what, what people have found is that the issue is that it's not that anybody doubts that a given technology is going to work. They doubt whether it's going to work for them. You see what I mean? So like you, you think about somebody who's, let's just say a pipe fitter, and someone comes up and says, I've got this new technology. If you ask the person, they're probably going to say, I'm sure it works, but is it worth the time? Is it going to work for us? Is it going to work for me? Am I going to sit here and blow a bunch of time on it and feel like an idiot because it doesn't work? So the, 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 one of the reasons why people do like to hear from people that look, that, not, you know, that, that do what they do and, and again, kind of experience work the way they do is because it shows that it's going to work for people in your situation. It's just one more, one more way of kind of reducing the risk. Cause you know, technology is just another thing in your life. You could also say, I'm going to go watch a movie or I'm going to go, you know, take my kids to, to, you know, watch a, I don't know, go to a museum. My point is there's a lot of things that you can do in your life and, and, and adopting a new technology is, is just one of them. Um, and, and choosing to spend the time and effort to learn something is a risk. So you're talking about buy-in. You know someone who, who's, sorry? You're talking about buy-in. 
I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's right. And that's something else that in my experience, I noticed that in the beginning, contractors were when they they accept something, their biggest problem was buying and they try to push it on them. And and I would say, because I heard this from other people, um, let just throw it out there and let your people come up back to you. Because if you say, I want you to do this, they're going to they're going to push back or some will push back. The other would say, hey, take this iPad and play around with it. And they're going to come back to you and say, why aren't we doing this? Um, so it's kind of like that the movie Inception. You know, you want you don't want them to walk a mile. Well, you want them to walk a mile. You want them to take your shoes and have them their shoes. <laughs> yeah, know, that's buy-in, and and you do it by, you know, you don't do it by pounding them in and into them. You do it by seducing them. You know. Yeah, that makes a ton. You know what you're hearing some of the big contractors do is they'll do, you know, contests for innovation and contests for new ideas, and and they'll do hackathons for the sake of thinking not really they're they're not really expecting someone to come up with a breakthrough idea they, if they do that's wonderful but it's about getting people thinking that i have the the ability to to make change and i have the ability to to do something in a new way absolutely so that when they give it to them they come back with with that's i love what you said they come back with their own way of using it yeah no i've seen that time and time again and that, it's not my original idea but i embraced it early on and, and you know sometimes you like I hope this works because this is what I'm telling a bunch of people. And then you <laughs> say, hey, this really worked. And then you feel yeah. like, you know, you, they don't see it, but you're all, you know, like, and you're relieved, and, but you're also excited, you know. And then it happens enough time, then you start thinking that you know something. And then then, then you, you get tripped up, but that's okay. You got to, I mean, people t- say that all the time, you know, you got to make mistakes. Um, you know, if you're not making mistakes, you're not doing the right things. And, and obviously it's true to an extent because you can't make mistakes all the time. Um, Steve Jobs. Uh, Steve Jobs said it best that uh, mistakes are okay because it means decisions are being made. Yeah, but in this yeah. industry, it's hard because you know it's expensive, and and that's really the biggest thing I was always trying to do um, is make sure that people had enough information that they could make the right choice and they wouldn't make a bad choice. We try to help them from going down the right path and picking the right technology, and we that was the other thing is our te- our tech show was um, was private. So you didn't you didn't come to us and apply and pay money. In fact, you didn't have to pay money to, to be there. We just we just said, hey, we would like to invite you um, to our to our show. We'd like you to exhibit. We'd like you to speak. And we, we were very particular about who we invited. And so that that was really important, I think. You know, Dan, what you're you're talking about, it, it's it's a really interesting kind of you know approach that you're. You're, what you're saying is you're, you're coming from a place of respect. You're respecting the intelligence of the people that you're you're working with, and and just assuming if I give it to them, look, they may not do it on day one, but I'm going to let them discover it because I I trust that they're, you know, they're they're professionals interested in making their you know doing a better job, being more productive. But most importantly, you you again you respect that their intelligence is going to take them forward. True, true. I like. I'm that not way. sure that's how technology always goes. I think you know. One of the problems with the, with the, especially software is you know, you get people who kind of drill into their software and their 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 coding languages and all that. And they don't always treat their users with with respect, and I think I think that's something you see you know across different across different products. Right. Okay. Dead air. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, but anyway, I'm, look, I spent a lot of time building products, so that's something that we 
we really focus on is, is um, you know, trying to learn from how people really use it. Um, Mike, how did you guys find the, the kind of the, the process of going from introducing Revit to really seeing it get, get uptake? I mean, it sounds like you went from zero to amazing. Yeah, it was a, and I, I think that was just the industry moving forward. So um, we have a few, uh, our, our key members of our, our, of the technology team there um, have positions within their mechanical contractors they work for as detailers. So they're living, they're not only teaching the program, but they're, they're, they're uh, UA members who are working for contractors detailing. And this is just some of the language we're seeing now. If you want to come and bid a job, listen, you got to sit in a coordination meeting. Uh, if you get this job awarded, then this GC is going to want you to use Procore or PlanGrid, or, or this is a BIM 360 job. So I, I think these contractors, these mechanical subs who have been doing what they've been doing uh, almost perfectly for, for a very long time, decades, um, initially had, uh, I, I think, some pushback to it just because of, hey, things are going really well. We've got a well-oiled machine. Let's not disrupt that right now. And and we'll be okay. But then they started seeing that language of, hey, this is a technology-driven job. So um, I don't want to say they were forced into it, Hugh, but I, I think, again, that's why would you upset a, a perfectly well-running machine if you don't have to, right? So, and it's just the next wave, the next uh, the next generation of, of building came about and our contractors started seeing that. And those that have filled our Revit classes are the early adopters, I still consider them, yeah. that yep. jumped ahead of it and said, hey, you know, this Revit thing or this BIM thing is real. Um, let's get some people in there so we can make sense of all this. And and listen, those that did it a few years ago are the ones that are bidding those jobs with ease now, and they're the ones winning those jobs. And that's just the reality. Yeah. So it becomes almost a competitive requirement or a certainly competitive advantage. It, it's 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 a requirement now on many jobs um, and I, maybe that's arguable that it's in larger markets, but it's a requirement that if you want to work on this job, the information will be passed digitally. You know, information will be transferred digitally. So whether that's through, you know, some type of internal FTP site, but um, more and more jobs we're seeing are GC driven jobs with technology. So again, hey, you're going to use Procore, you're going to use PlanGrid. It's going to be a BIM, you know, are the GCs demanding that the subs use technology, right? Do you, so one of the things that I came across in just in my travels is a couple of architects that now work for uh, mechanical contractors. And, and one of the points they made is that the sophistication that you're going to find sometimes is just really surprising to someone who's kind of more on the design side. And I, I wonder if, if, you know, I'd ask you guys to think a little bit about where this is going. Like where you know where the you know where the future of, of technology in the trades and in, in mechanical specifically and and obviously pipe fitting, but you know you guys it's gone from some people doing it a little to more people doing it to now in some of the larger markets you need to do it a lot. Do you do you see that that trend continuing and do you see things kind of coming out of the trades in terms of new ideas and all that? I do. I see that um, you know. We all see that. We've all seen that technology graph where technology is exponentially increasing, right? And even in construction, uh, there's only so much technology you can fit in a in a fire hose, and then um, eventually you got to take a step back and look at 
hey, how are we building, you know, in a, in a, in a lean fashion? So I, you know, my hit words, my key words the last probably year have been uh, momentum, productivity, and efficiency. So those are three words that I'm almost saying now to annoyance to some people because <laughs> it's like, Mike, you're saying it way too much. But, you know, listen, I was I was in those positions as an apprentice, and I see what happens when momentum stops on a job site. So when you have a crew of, of brothers and sisters on a job site, and they start that momentum in the morning, and they're flowing, and, and you know, stuff's being built, and, and you almost have that sixth sense where you can, you know, anticipate the moves of your coworkers, and yeah. it, this, this almost this harmony takes place. And, and I don't want people to, to misunderstand what I'm saying because I am, I'm not exaggerating this. And, and this harmony takes place on the job site and everybody is just, and, and these conditions are not always ideal, right? Whether it's 10 degrees below zero or 110 degrees out, once that harmony and sync is in place, nothing else, you have blinders on, right? So you you have the blinders on and you're moving and then something doesn't fit or a line hits the wrong wall penetration or something happened and, and the train come came to a stop and the momentum is lost and now the blinders are off and now everything around you is, is, is uh, you know, apparent and everything is visible. And to get that, to sometimes... For the rest of the day, you will not get that harmony back in place. So let's think about when we have, whether it's two people working together or a crew of 10 working together, there's money behind that. There's labor that costs them to be there. When we take that out of sync, you're immediately losing money. You are immediately losing productivity and efficiency. So at this point, to me, it's not about having the latest and greatest technology. So there's stuff out there that's that's really cool that's going to support these things. But in my opinion, the jobs, the information that gets sent to the job site has to be better. And and the way that the field receives information and, and communicates back to the office has to be flawless. And if we can eliminate those, I always, people laugh at me, but I always say I'm always in the search for a, a job that has zero RFIs. If that's the ultimate goal, we want to install things right the first time and we don't want them to have any questions doing it. Right. So like people, uh, you know, I I saw a documentary on Ikea and and the thing that aside from their instruction manuals, which we all laugh at because it's like everything at Ikea (laughs) has to be built no matter what, even like the instruction manual. But they've spent so much time researching how to do things that if you read it verbatim, line by line, then the the percentage of you building it correctly is over ninety five percent. Yeah, I believe and that. People don't think that, right? So, but they're like, hey, they've spent so much time investing that, and, and hey, these people have to be able to put this stuff together correctly. So they've done so much work and an emphasis on delivering information correctly that they have a ninety five percent success rate at installation. We need to follow that same type of path, right? So I'm seeing a new I'm seeing a new side of my, I've never seen the metaphysical side of Mike. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I, I, I would have he, I would have described it like you know that Visa commercial where everybody's paying with a credit card and then everything stops when the guy pays for cash. <laughs> yeah right. Yeah there you go. You, you just summed up. To an area, you know, Hugh, when we started, we, you wanted to talk about you know the future of unions, um, in technology, and this is an area we haven't talked about yet, but. What Mike's kind of talking, he's sort of getting this thing that they call advanced work packaging. Have you talked about that? Um, and so I, I used to hang out with this group 
this FIATEC, which was like a, they're gone now. They're a committee of um, um, CII that turned into an association. That was their, that was their holy grail is they want advanced working packaging. And they thought that that means they could, they could take the, the cheapest, um, less smart person they can find and just give them instructions to put things together. Yeah. And I don't think that's going to work. And I think that's no. the message is we have to get out there. Cause I would tell this to, to our members. I'm telling this to people that did the, you know, that did the, the chip plants and I tell this to people in the refineries and they just laugh. They go, yeah, yeah. Wait till they get to a real job. Um, and so we need to, that, that's the, one of the tricks for the unions is we got to keep our training up on our skills, add these tech skills and stay competitive. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. One of the things that you would hear sometimes some of the augmented reality people talk about is that, you know, once you've got AR up, you can have the person have no skills. And that absolutely is not true. Right. That absolutely, for, for a couple of reasons, one of which is, is just computers aren't as smart as people think they are. The best of them can't put a screw in as snugly as, you know, as, as, a, as a real human can. You know what I mean? Like it comes down to the fuzziness of reality and how humans are just really good at that. You add on to that all the experience and skill and training of a, of a, you know, of a union worker and you've got someone that's just, it's irreplaceable. Oh yeah. In fact, I heard the, at one time I was at a program and the guy that was ahead of the Watson project and he's, he said that he goes, I know that the computer can do a lot of things, but it, it's, it's, it's never good. It's not going to replace a person. There's just too many things that it can't do that with all the great things it can do. There's so much missing. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, what the better way of looking at it, it is there's you know the, the the press and some movies and stuff have, have kind of made us compare ai for example to people which is not the way to think of it right. the better way to think of it is it's better than old software because it really is it's it's a fantastic way to make software but it's not smart it's not it's not human it can't do the things that that we do naturally it does do some things we don't do naturally really well but that's okay so does a car and that's, and that's also the, one of the problems, I think, is when they try to force force it into doing what you know what it's supposed to do. Now, on the other hand, I got to tell you, one of my secrets is most of my most of my inspiration is from comes from being a, a sci-fi nerd, like yeah. not movies, but reading sci-fi my whole life. I even wrote an article for I think it was Contractor Magazine, and it was called uh, uh, Oh, the uh, the Contractor's Guide to the Galaxy. That's what it was called, and I just gave examples. What of a great all. name! It was fun. I like coming up with good names. Um, and but the in this article, I just came up with examples from science fiction uh, that I had that applied to our industry. Um, and I think that helps. It, it, it always helps me. And I always try to pass it on to other people. Like if you're not into sci-fi, try it. And if you are, start thinking about your industry, the way you look at sci-fi, for instance, um, it, this is not necessarily our thing. But like when they came out with the, with the early occupancy sensors, in, you know, in all the buildings and people would be in their offices, and they have to wave their arm, you know, for their light to go back on. Well, when you watch 2001 A Space Odyssey, which is probably one of the first times you saw that stuff in the space said lights would go on, they didn't have that problem. So in some ways, sci-fi tells you where you got to get to, you know. Yeah. It, it doesn't. And, and sometimes it doesn't mean you got to make a, a robot human, but it does mean you have to make it work flawlessly. Like Mike said before, you know, they're doing these things flawlessly. You got to make it work at a certain level. And that's the, that's the lesson of science fiction is, you know, it can't just be something clunky, you know, sort of works. You're, if you, that's all you've got, you got to keep going. Well, and the way I, the way I explain it best is that, you know, if we look at vehicles, cars on the road today, cars are now 
so much safer and, and accidents have been reduced by, I mean, exponentially, you know, if you will. And, and the reason is for, for technology. So Hugh, you mentioned kind of like AI and, and, and what it's good at. In my opinion, you know, that's where the vehicle technology comes into play. So you have all these sensors and all these warnings and all these these things that are that are predicting what's going to happen if you continue down this path. So, um, you know, hey, if you continue here, the sensor's telling you you're going to hit this car or you're going off the road or there's ice here, whatever it is. But at the end of the day, it still leaves the decision up to you because it cannot make that decision for you. Yeah. So what I, and the way that I transfer that now to construction technology, especially with with and I'm a firm believer and a supporter and, and, I, and I love to debate it of UA members actively detailing in BIM departments because the engineers that have that have spent years studying how buildings are supposed to be built from an engineering standpoint, right, to make sure that it literally doesn't fall down. They are so important. They are all of the protective measures in that vehicle. They are everything, in my opinion, that is preventing you from going off of the road. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, the, the person that's driven that car for the last 5, 10, 15, 20 years instinctually knows how to drive that vehicle. So let's partner our UA members and partner our engineers together to make this vehicle and this driver. I, I've never said that I want UA members to replace detailers in the office. That is absolutely not true. What I wanna do is partner them with the engineers so that they can build this amazing car and, and we can drive it safely to where we need to go. I, and I, I think, you know, being an engineer, I have a comment on that. And so I was a young mechanical engineer and I went of to- Of course you do, you're an engineer. <laughs> well, no, I, it's a good, it's a positive thing. And I went to the UA instructor training program in Arbor, in Arbor for the first time. And one of the guys, he said, well, you, we got to put you in some classes. So I, I sat in on some of these classes and I was blown away. You know, and I, I knew that the people had a lot of skills because I'd still been, I'd been around in the industry for a couple of years. But I go to this and I go, they're learning stuff. So this is where they teach an instructor. They're learning stuff that I learned in engineering school uh, and they're grasping it and they're understanding it. And, and I was just from that point on, that was back in the early 90s. I was just really, I mean, I always liked the UA and I thought they, they did it, but I was just blown away by that program all the way back then. And they continue to do that. So, guys, I, I think this has been a fantastic conversation. I, I love the idea of um, sort of this blending of, of different skill sets so that you're, you're kind of taking the best of each. And Dan, I love this idea of thinking of, of your, you know, your work in your, your industry through the lens of sci-fi. As someone who's, you know, read all that stuff, I, I, I buy it myself. So guys, thank you for a fantastic conversation. This has been great. Thank you. Thanks for having us, Hugh. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity. Mm -hmm.